Welcome to Insights. This is Paul Ellis, Managing Director of Ellis Wealth Management, where we encourage you to invest in what you love. Ellis Wealth Management is an independent financial services firm focused on planning, advice, coaching, and investment management. We are dedicated to the families we serve, and we encourage you to invest in what you love. Within Insights, we look at ways to make our world richer through focusing on sharing, and developing human capital. All right. Well, what a great, great day it is in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. And we're heading into September uh, we used to call that an Indian summer, just a little longer, a little more, a little extra time on the clock to enjoy things before we head into that fall winter season. And we have some great, great days. Uh, today, we are going to continue with our series, and we have our friends back, Jim and Brian. And we are going to uh, continue our sessions on family, on the Family Wealth Series. Jim is an attorney and an advisor, education consultant in the Global Learning and Development Group at Nuveen. Uh, He's a graduate of Osberg University in Minneapolis. He has degrees in economics and political science, and later he received his law degree from Vanderbilt University in Tennessee. He currently serves as the North Regional Council for the American Cancer Society. And Brian is an internal advisor consultant with Nuveen, and he's a graduate of Miami University. Hey, good afternoon, guys. How are you? Really good. How are you doing today, Paul? Oh, it's it, never, ever a dull, dull moment. Things are moving along. Excellent, excellent. And I know Brian's with us as well today, uh, and we're excited to continue this conversation around what a wealth transition plan looks like. It's an effective wealth transition plan. So we're excited to, to be with you again. Well, this is great. People are getting back to school and I'm sure that they're used to taking notes and uh, finding out what needs to be done next as we head into the, the, the last half of the year here. Um, I've had conversations with my clients regarding things that need to be done in the investment space. And one of the things we've talked about are different challenges that come our way. And I've used the example of Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean. And Johnny Depp, of course, is the, is the famous actor or, um, that, that, is, that plays the character of Captain Jack Sparrow. And one of the things that Captain Jack Sparrow had was a compass. And that compass didn't point to true north. That compass was a magic compass that pointed to what was the most important thing to a person's heart. And I thought that would be a a good way of thinking about the family GPS as we move forward. You know, what kind of compass uh, do we have? How do we get that oriented correctly? And um, integrating that into our family wealth, wealth planning. Yeah, and Paul, to me, this this really is a natural extension from what we we've been talking about over the last couple of episodes. You know, we started with that first conversation around what's wealth, and then we extended that into the idea around the 
what are those four corner documents and what what are the important aspects of those? But as we started to outline there, and what we'll talk a little bit more about today is that circumstances change and rare is an estate plan that's put in place and forgotten about that remains effective. In other words, the whole idea and premise behind an effective wealth transition strategy is that it contemplates what might happen in the future. Rather than thinking about what has to happen, we think about and plan for what could happen. And from that standpoint, much like the GPS units in our automobiles, having an idea around how that course might alternate or change or deviate based upon circumstances, it applies for our trips that we're taking in our cars, but at the same time, it applies to this discussion around an effective wealth transition strategy. And so today we'll spend a little bit of time talking about how you can build your own family GPS unit and how it ties into some of these concepts today. And I'm anxious to talk about this. I think this is one of the most important aspects of a true, successfully defined wealth transition plan. Would you agree, Paul? Excellent. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think from that standpoint, we probably want to get into a bit of how do we start to think about this GPS unit and what it's going to entertain over time. And I think we talked earlier about the notion of circumstances change. And from a family standpoint, we know what many of those could be. Births, deaths, unfortunately, marriages, divorces, all of those things can impact an overall wealth transition plan. But one of the things that becomes incredibly important is how you define a structure and memorialize, maybe most importantly, memorialize what it means to be the family that you are and what goes into defining that. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that means and maybe some questions that you might want to pose yourself or to your family members and the answers to which will start to generate your family's idea of a mission or value statement. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how you can apply that to some of these circumstances that are changing. Well, Jim, what would be some questions a family may have regarding a mission statement? That that sounds like a big undertaking. What would some of the questions be that someone might have regarding that? Great point, right? At the end of the day, part of this revolves around this notion of you can answer some of these questions, but I will state at the outset this doesn't have to be a formal process. And what I'm referring to is starting with just some simple things around what are the things that make you who you are as an individual and as a member of the family. For instance, maybe you want to ask yourselves what's most important about our family. Perhaps it's how we share things back and forth and how we communicate. Or perhaps it's something that you've got a shared passion around. As an example, our family, for instance, has this passion around the fight against cancer. And for that, that is incredibly important. And to that end, one of the things that is embedded in our family's value statement, and you're going to hear me interchangeably talk about 
value statement and mission statement. And the reason for that is quite simply, I, I don't really like the term family mission statement. It seems much more formal than what it is. What I'm referencing is just that depiction of what's important to you as a family. And for our family, we feel like we have been touched by cancer more than our fair share. And as a result, we are incredibly passionate around the fight against cancer, the ability to support those avenues that help support palliative care, care for individuals that are, ban- are battling cancer directly. That's important to us as a family. And it's worked its way into our family mission statement. And it started with a discussion that we had between me, my spouse, our child, and our extended family, my parents and my sisters. And it was a very simple question that we posed. It's one of the questions that we built into our tools. What's most important about your family? And in that discussion, one of the points that was made is that I feel strongly about the fact that our family does dedicate time as a family to this particular fight. And as a part of that, it in turn worked its way into our family's mission statement. Now we take that and we apply that to the tools of our overall state plan. As we talked about before, for instance, that a state plan has some really key documents but it also can include some avenues that allow us to express that passion. We've utilized something like a donor advised fund, for instance, as a way of bringing our family together to have conversations around how we can support that particular passion, that fight against cancer. And the compass that keeps us aligned with that is our family mission statement, as you'll see this embedded directly in it. So for some families that are just getting started, this is a new concept to them. They may not have their arms wrapped around a particular cause, but they could start with something simple such as our value is to support each other as a family. And then from there, connect the next dot. What does that mean? How does that look? Yeah, you know, quite often we will talk about all this notion of communication. And unfortunately, sometimes communication is that that place where family discord can start to sow its own seeds. And whether we define it overtly or not, that opportunity for us to practice some of that discussion and that communication, it can be daunting to think about it at the outset. But one of the things that, again, you might want to consider is if that's a potential area of opportunity, addressing it full frontal with that notion of how we support each other in allowing for open communication, open dialogue, understanding that, for instance, not only are we individuals, but we are part of a family and those individual points of view absolutely matter. I think that's a part of that structure that that starts with a very simple notion. How do we support each other as a family? Yes. What are some other questions that families may have regarding that value statement or mission statement or some sticking points that to to move past to the next set of questions? Yeah, you know, 
I think, Paul, one of those things that you might want to consider is, and maybe even taking a half a step back, this consideration. As you're listening to this conversation today, ask yourself, how did I learn about wealth? How did I learn about money? And was that effective? I grew up here in the Midwest. And one of the concepts that you'll find here in the Midwest is that we are to some degree private when it comes to discussions around money and wealth. And while I don't suggest that my parents maybe thought about that and in turn chose to not talk about money, I think from their standpoint, this was born out of a notion that they both grew up with. And as a result, my education around wealth, specifically financial wealth, was not maybe one of those things that I would want to emulate for our kids or my child growing up and continuing to grow and develop. And again, not necessarily a bad thing. It's just part of who we were. So if you ask yourself, how did I learn about money? And if your answer is, I really learned what that concept means at a young age, and I learned how to think about money and wealth as a steward or a responsible individual, great. If the answer to that question is maybe something other than that, to the extent that maybe if you were asked this follow-on question, would you emulate that early education around money and wealth with your kids? If the answer to that is no, I probably wouldn't want to do that, it sets the stage then for thinking about, okay, what should go into that process? And that's part of what this mission statement or this value statement can help to outline is what does wealth mean? What are the values that we have as a family? How do those things get intertwined? And how can we memorialize that in a way in which it will guide the actions that we might take? In a future episode, we're going to talk about some of those specific activities, but you'll hear me then talk about referencing those activities back to what's important to you as a family, what makes you who you are. I think it's really a good point to ask the question, how did I learn and would I want to emulate that? And if I need to change it, what are some things I need to do to move in a different direction? And that can be implemented into that statement or discussion as well, correct? Correct. And I think, again, in terms of this process, we don't want to necessarily make it seem daunting because I do think it is rather simple. We've talked about a couple of these, but maybe a few other questions that I'd suggest as examples. Things like what makes you who you are as a family? We've talked a little bit about how you as an individual maybe learned about wealth and money. Some other things, for instance, that we would want to talk about and maybe answer as a part of this process. What would people say about your collective family today? If we were to ask outside individuals what they would say about your family, how do you feel about that? And is that consistent with what you would want to see? And again, nobody's grading this. So we wouldn't suggest that you answer these questions yourself in a way in which you're maybe overly optimistic, but being very truthful. And again, in knowing that and maybe memorializing that, 
it starts to set the stage for some of the activities that you as a family can employ. We'll talk, for instance, about a question like, what is the legacy your family would like to have? Our family, we've talked about that very specifically. And again, part of what we want from a legacy standpoint is this notion that it is important for us as a family and even beyond our family to influence this fight against a disease that that we do feel has directly impacted us disproportionately. You might ask yourself, for instance, what characteristics do you want your children and grandchildren to have as they grow up? The answer to that, again, can define not only who you are, but the activities that you might put in place to reinforce that notion. You heard me talk earlier about the idea of a donor advised fund. I think something like that is incredibly powerful as a tool that allows you to maybe provide some of that education. It's what we do within our family and it, what, it's what allows us to educate our 21-year-old son on what stewardship means and what it looks like. And he's a part of that conversation directly. It also then in turn starts to set the stage for some family decision-making. We might talk about that in the term, in terms of governance. Maybe that term is a bit more formal, but at the end of the day, it's a structure that allows us to start to practice some decision-making as a family in a way in which we're not waiting for the emotions that might surround a particular life event. And from that standpoint, I would suggest that sometimes the discussions around what happens to certain assets, things that might be passed intergenerationally when someone passes on, we fail to understand some of the emotions that surround that. And in turn, we just kind of push it down the road. And so we don't address it now because we don't know how to. Well, that's part of this process is identifying ways in which we can look forward, see some of those potential events, and then start to understand how do we practice a decision process that won't in turn make us wait until that eventual point in time when we're surrounded by all of the emotions, for instance, of a loved one just passing on. So the idea of governance, it can sound quite bureaucratic, (laughs) the term itself. That in itself can elicit certain kinds of emotions, but having guardrails, having signposts as a way of supporting decisions without having to react to emotions. That's what I heard you say. Correct, Paul. I couldn't be more in agreement with you at the end of the day. It's those emotions that surround, for instance, things like the death of a parent and the emotion that goes into that specific time period. And unfortunately, a lot of us have experienced those circumstances. And we've witnessed firsthand the emotion that can surround, for instance, the passing of a truly loved individual. And at the same time that we're facing some of those emotions the grieving process, the loss that surrounds that, unfortunately, sometimes there are really critical decisions that need to be made. And oftentimes they're not necessarily 
just the how are we going to deal with this passing, but they include things like how are we going to divide up some of these assets? We chatted a little bit about in a previous session, the idea around a will and a trust and talking about, for instance, those items of potential sentimental value. Well, that's a critical decision process. And I agree with you, Paul. Governance doesn't just seem right or it doesn't seem like it's the right term because it seems more formal, maybe more clinical, more sterile. And oftentimes families don't think about governance when they're thinking about their own decision-making process. But it really is that process that we need to practice ahead of time. And there are ways of doing that. And again, part of the reason why we might think about setting up structures like donor advised funds, or even some of the other structures that might surround it, because it gives us a chance to practice as a family, making decisions together and aligning those decisions with what the family feels is important. That process, because it's with neutral money, it's not necessarily money that you or I are going to get directly as inheritors, but around neutral wealth, sometimes then in turn starts to eliminate some of the emotional issues that might surround it. And that practice decision-making is what I mean by governance. That's an excellent point. So often people are having to make decisions in the midst of the emotional storm they themselves feel, in addition to the storm that someone else is feeling. And unfortunately, there's a checklist of other things that need to be done as well. And so the more you can have clear communication ahead of time, the less likely you're going to have flare-ups or miscommunication in the midst of those storms. So Jim, what are some good guideposts or what are some good questions a family can have or a person can have that can assist them with that process? I think, Paul, from my standpoint, there are some things that we've we've already chatted about, but if I were just to list them off, there, there are probably 10 really key questions, starting with defining your family's goals and priorities. Then what's in most or what's most important to you about your family? And that question you might want to entertain individually. So if you are married, for instance, maybe you think about that and answer that question and your spouse answers that question. What's most important to you about your family? Then what are each family member's most important values? Do you have a sense for what they are? We probably have a really good sense of what our spouse's values are, but as our children grow, and mature, do we understand what that is? Fourth, describe most importantly qualities and characteristics that members of the family should possess. And this isn't meant to be dictatorial. It's just, again, describing what's important to you. Fifth, what characteristics do you want your children and grandchildren to have as they grow up? We've talked a little bit about that idea around stewardship, for instance, is something that's important to us and our family. But what characteristics do you want your kids and grandkids to have? Six, how do you want to build relationships in your family? And there are ways of doing that in constructive fashion, maybe open dialogue, starting with things like neutral concepts rather than facing 
head on some of those areas of potential discord that we know are out there. Start with some of the easier conversations first. Seventh, how can you support each other? And again, these are not meant to be exhaustive answers. What we're asking you to do is to think about each one of these questions and then maybe jot down a couple of quick thoughts or bullet points for each one. Eighth item, name three things you think you could do better as a family. The good part of every process is understanding not only where you're at, but understanding where there are opportunities. Perhaps maybe communication is something you could be better at. Well, knowing that will help us to identify then what activities can follow along. What would people say about your collective family today? We chatted a little bit about that already. But if you think about that again, in a not overly optimistic fashion, but truly critiquing what would others say about your family. And then finally, what is the legacy your family would like to leave? And we chatted about legacy at the outset of this conversation, Paul, but really what we meant to do there is to reinforce the notion that legacy and wealth is more than just the economic resources of a family. So as you think about answering that last question, what is the legacy your family would like to leave? Think about not just the economic components of it, but those ideas around value, passions, the things that represent, again, what's most important to you. And knowing those things, building this GPS unit or this compass then allows you to follow along with that notion of building a document and memorializing something that will always help point you, and maybe most importantly, your planning professionals in the direction of those things that really do, in turn, rise to the highest level of importance for your family. That's a great list. That's a great list, it's a, and it's a doable list. If you would, can you share how this list of questions can help an estate planner or uh, an estate professional that would assist the family? Yeah, absolutely, Paul. And I'll start with this premise, that this is not something that a lot of estate planning professionals would maybe start with or lead with. And as you think about developing that wealth transition strategy that you have, we oftentimes will focus as planning professionals and with the families that we're working on, on the actual documents. And oftentimes, it's thinking about what those documents are going to accomplish. And again, quite honestly, a lot of that revolves around the dissemination of assets from one generation to the next and how that's going to happen. One of the things, though, that I think is incredibly powerful as a planning professional is if I understand who you are as a family, what's important to you, the answers to some of the questions that we've posed, for instance, how you might have learned about wealth and whether or not you think about that as an effective process. As a planning professional, then that gives me a true sense for how I might morph and adopt or adapt documents over time. We haven't talked a lot about it, but the fact of the matter is there are some tax provisions that are set to change over the course of the next two years. It's already embedded in the law. And some of those tax provisions will impact estate planning. 
as a planning professional, it's my job to have an idea around what those provisions are and how they might impact the families that I'm working with. But if I have that coupled with this compass, this description of who you are as a family and what's important to you, what it really does is create a lot of efficiency then around how I might change or adapt documents and do so efficiently. I'm not starting with the full landscape of trust opportunities. Maybe by way of seeing this document, I can start to then focus the strategies that are most important and impactful to you based upon the outside circumstances, what's happening in the tax code, or what might be happening from a legislative standpoint. But I can couple that then with this notion of what's important to you, and it gives me a truer sense of how then I define those documents. And part of this, Paul, at the end of the day, it really revolves, revolves around creating efficiencies in the overall team of professionals that many clients utilize as part of their planning process. Those are some terrific questions and coupled with the understanding that spending the time as a family to have those discussions, meeting with an attorney and the plant, the professionals uh, that are on that team, that are going to be on that team, it really does give them a greater scope on how to fashion the estate plan, the way that it is going to benefit the family the most, with the insight of what's coming down the track as far as changes coming down the pike. You got it, Paul. And at the end of the day, again, that's the role of the advisors and the advisory team that a client is working with, is to make sure that we're contemplating what is happening, what's coming down the road at us that is going to affect the environment. From a family standpoint, it's your job to help your professionals understand these things that make you who you are, that define what's important to you. So that makes us overall better in our roles. And when you think about this, how we discuss this at the outset, we started again with that idea around wealth and legacy and it being more than the economic resources. And the reason why we started there is to open your minds around the idea that legacy should and has to be more than just the financial aspects. And in queuing that up, what we're also leading to is the idea that while there are, as we discussed in our second session, a set of documents that are really core to an effective wealth plan, what separates an effective wealth plan from a truly successful wealth transfer strategy is this idea of allowing for that plan to evolve over time. And the evolution of that plan, Paul, this is what we've talked about today. The idea of having a guide or a compass that continuously points towards what's important for you and for your family, that sets the stage then for our next conversation, where we're going to get a little bit more specific on what are some of the activities that a family might employ once you have a sense for what your family's mission or value statement is. Now we're going to start talking about how you can actualize some things that will start to carry that process out and start to then in turn make apparent the idea around not only what your family is and what's important to you, but what are the actions that you might employ as a family, as a family unit 
to effectively carry out this plan. And we'll talk a bit about that in our next session. And just so that there's a timeline, you had mentioned that there may be changes in the tax code coming up or the tax law coming up. What year is that that we're expecting some things to sunset so clients can have an idea of how much time they're looking at? Yeah, Paul, you mentioned, for instance, the idea of the tax environment changing. And part of the reason why I suggest that is that there are some provisions that will impact us as individuals over the course of the next two years that were passed as part of a tax act, specifically the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017. And in passing those provisions that impacted, for instance, things like federal income taxes, lowering those rates and adjusting the bracket structure, the standard deduction, for instance, elevating that amount. Those provisions in that act were passed through a process that required that they have an expiration date. It's a process that really quite often is used now as a part of almost all tax legislation at the federal governmental level. And that means that those provisions have a 10-year window. Well, that window is set to expire at the end of 2025, which means that we've got two years, two years of planning. And specifically, one of those provisions revolved around the federal estate tax structure. And without going in great depth, really at the end of the day, right now, you don't really need to worry about paying a federal level estate tax unless you have assets that exceed just about $26 million. Below that, really it's more a matter of planning for the effective transition of wealth and what wealth means. If you're above that level, then we really do need to speak about the estate tax ramifications. Now, the provisions that is expiring specific to that, Paul, that exemption level is set to be cut in half in 2026. So right now, while it might be 26 million per couple, 13 million or thereabouts per individual, that number is going to drop to about 50% of its level. And again, just to kind of carry this notion full circle, that tax is based upon everything that you own, that federal state tax. So all of your financial wealth, all of your real estate assets, all of the death benefit of life insurance policies that you own directly, all of that gets included in the computation for tax purposes. And at the end of the day, those are the things that planning professionals are aware of and can plan for. Now we want to, in turn, couple that with what's important to you as a family. And that 360-degree process then provides the most successful wealth transition strategy. Thank you. And taking the time to have these questions answered or going through these questions with your family is a rich experience regardless, whether or not there's that tax change coming. Going through this process is a very valuable, very valuable uh, experience and tool. Well, one of the things that comes to mind is you're you're referencing the fact that you know, we can think about and 
adjust plans based upon the environment. And as we just talked about, maybe the tax environment, I'm continuously reminded of that adage that I don't want the tax tail to wag the dog. And really that gets at the heart of what you just said. It's maybe the role of the professionals that you're working with to understand the environment, the legislative or tax environment and how that might impact your plans directly. But at the end of the day, the most impactful things are making sure that those plans ultimately align with the goals that are important to you in what you are as an individual and what your family represents. And that process is incredibly powerful no matter what the tax landscape might provide, no matter what changes we might see from an election season that we're already entering into seemingly. Uh, and as a part of that, those things are outside of our direct control. What's in our control, making sure that our professionals and the people that we're working with, the advisors that are helping us understand the core things that are important to us directly. I couldn't agree with you more, Paul. So Jim, you've shared with us a wealth of information and we'll have plenty of time between now and the next time that we speak to look at these questions, try them on, discuss them with our spouses, and be ready to come back again for the next step. Nuveen is working with Ellis Wealth Management for this podcast, but there's some components that Nuveen wants to make sure that everyone understands. Would you be willing to share that again? Sure, we'll do so here. This material is not intended to be a recommendation or investment advice, and it doesn't constitute a solicitation to buy, sell, or hold a security or an investment strategy, and is not provided in a fiduciary capacity. The information provided does not take into account specifics or objectives or circumstances of any particular individual or family or suggest any specific course of action. Investment decisions should be made based on your individual objective, objectives and circumstances and in consultation with your advisors. The views and opinions expressed here are for informational and educational purposes only as of the date of the production and may change without notice at any time based upon numerous factors such as market or other conditions. Additional risks and uncertainties may not come to pass, and so as a result, you have to consider these as informational discussions directly. Nuveen does not provide uh, legal or tax-based information. Nuveen provides investment advisory solutions through its investment specialists. Well, Jim, that was terrific. Thank you so much for sharing. And we've spent time today going over what are the questions that, that can help with that value statement for a family or that, that mission statement, as some call it. Um, it provides an excellent opportunity for dialogue between spouses and partners to, to what really is most important and how do we want to see you know our legacy and our family moving forward. I know next time we're going to talk a little bit about how to share this information with the family members um, and how to educate those family members on what we're trying to work with and what we're trying to do. To me, Paul, this has always been about an, an iterative process. 
meant to build upon the conversations that we've had. And that next step in building is now starting to apply the actions that you might employ as a family that will start to carry out that definition of what's important to you as a family, what makes you who you are. And we'll do that across a couple of different spectra. For instance, we'll talk a bit about different activities that you might employ if you're a family with younger family members, maybe kids or grandkids at relatively young ages, but helping them to start to think about financial wealth and financial education, what it means. We'll talk a bit about the idea of financial intelligence and that intellectual development. I'll share with you maybe a story around why it was important for us as a family to establish a Roth retirement account for our son as he was earning summer employment income, even at relatively young ages, but allowing him the opportunity to think and in turn work towards long-term goals. And then we'll talk a bit about the idea of stewardship. We referenced it today, but we'll get a little bit further into what I mean by stewardship and why that's important for family members, and again, at all age cohorts, to understand what it means to be responsible, responsible recipient of wealth and a responsible steward of wealth. And we'll share some examples specifically around each of these ideas. Jim, that is fantastic information. Thank you very much. We're going to look forward to the next meeting. And in the interim, we've got plenty of good work to do. And let me just say, on behalf of Jim and Brian and the entire Ellis Wealth Management team, to always invest in what you love.